we're going to start a journey like you won't believe. I've already had two cracks at this message. It's incredible. Um, it is in Ephesians in the first chapter. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Number one, about this great book. It says in both the commentaries, there's three commentaries that I've read through. One of them is not kind of word after word, so I don't look at it very closely. I just look at it sometimes to check where I'm at, you know, to make sure I'm, I'm staying on path. But on all the commentaries I've read so far, they say there are two books in the New Testament that are considered very difficult to study. They say the book of Revelation, and they say the book of Ephesians. I, I say that's not true so far in my experience, but let me say quick that maybe I'm not smart enough to know what I've missed, you know, and, and, and maybe I'm not done a good enough job, but I came to Dr. G, Dr. McGee's commentary, which is my end-all and be-all of all the word. And he says, you know, he says, he wrote down, you know, I can almost hear his, his way he talks. And he says, you know, he says that people say these are hard books to study. He says, I say, no, they are not. They are very simple. They are outlined beautifully. And, and you just have to get in and let the Lord God lead you. And I say, yeah, because I feel that's the truth of it. This book of Ephesians is very simply outlined it is outlined in this fashion. Chapters 1, I said this to you last week, I'll say it again. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are outlined so that we might know who we are in Christ Jesus. Remember, it is mentioned 15 times in verses in chapters 1 through 6 that we are in Him or in Christ. That's the emphasis that Paul is making. We are in Him. We're only going to see two verses today because... To study the New Testament versus studying the Old Testament is such a different exercise. It, it, it cha- it, there has to be a, a mind change when you study. Like, uh, for instance, if it be like a, a runner that's a sprinter, and, and that's his event. He sprints and sprints and sprints and sprints, and he trains to sprint. And all of a sudden, he's asked now, that's what I felt like studying the book of Joshua is like, sprint, 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 because it was a narrative. You could take in a lot, you know, and, and, and it was like a story. Well, now somebody has like asked me to run a mile, and now I have to train to do that. And if this, the study of Ephesians, the study of a New Testament book, is a word-on-word study because every word has some meaning. With that in mind, you're going to see in verse 2, there is a word that I'm guessing that you have never noticed before, and I'm going to tell you that it changes the whole context of what Paul is trying to teach in the book of Ephesians. I won't tell you what the word is right now. I want you to stay here the whole time. <laughs> so we'll do it. We'll do it when we get to it near the very end. But the fact of the matter is this book is such a great book. It is separated into two parts. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 tell us who we are in Christ. Now, Paul assumes that we're going to study these chapters hard enough and, and with, with integrity enough that he is going to jump right into the 4th, 5th, and 6th chapters and said, okay, there's who you are in Christ. Now, here's what you are to do since you are in Christ. You see, our walk with Jesus Christ is a, an active, it's a participatory type of a thing. We're not, none of us should be sitting on the bench. We should all be in the game. And every single one of us has enough gifts from God or enough of a gift from God that, that 
that impacts one another. And we need each other to be all that God wants us to be. We desperately need one another. And so Paul is saying, okay, here's who you are. Now here's what I want you to do. And that's what we're going to study when we come to this great book. It is phenomenal in, it, in its makeup. And it's phenomenal in how it's, it's laid out. You, you and I will we'll be able to understand this book because it's the Lord God who will lead us through that. If you look at verse 1, you're going to see that there is two words in there. It says, at Ephesus. Um, this, this is not normally, those words are not in most of the, uh, of the ancient missiles that, that have been passed along. Really, this was supposed to be uh, what is called a circular letter. By that, it wasn't to go to any one particular group of people. It was to go to the whole body of Christ. Because, as you're going to see, as we study through this great book, there is so much for us to learn. There's so much for us to understand. Who are we in Christ? And, and you're going to find out just today, just as we kind of just scratch the surface today, all the wonders that we are because of who we are in Christ. Now, this was revealed, this letter was written to reveal a couple of things. Number one, who we are in Christ. Number two, what the church is. The church is God's masterpiece. Our gathering together is what God wanted. When, when it all began in the day of Pentecost and all of these people gathered together, the Apostle Peter told them, look, he says, I want you to be continually devoting yourselves to the things of God. And so that is, that is what the church is ought, to, ought to do. Now, the church, you hopefully know, is not a building. The, the church isn't a, a structure. The church are people. We are called the body of Christ. We make up what is called the church, us individuals. And Paul is going to reveal a mystery. The mystery is that the church was to be God's masterpiece. It was to be strategically where we were to meet, where we would gather together so as, as it says in chapter 4, as we're going to learn, it's so that we might equip one another, so that we might build up the body of Christ, the work of service that we do, the ministry that each of us have. Whether it is a great big ministry or not such a big one, it doesn't really matter. All God wants us to do is use the gift that He has given us, the spiritual gift, so that we can build up the body of Christ. And so if you look at verse 9, we won't get to verse 9 today, we'll talk about it next week, but verse 9 says this, He made known to us the mystery of His will. That is the church, folks. That is God's masterpiece. He made it known to us according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, purposed in His Son. The church is more wonderful than any temple that is made with hands because the church is constructed, as I said just a little while ago, with living stones. By that I mean it is constructed with us, those of us who are in Him, in Christ, and indwelt by the power of God the Holy Spirit. We are called to be the body of Christ. We are called to live in the world in which we live to walk as he would walk, and to wrestle against the schemes of the devil, as it mentions in chapter 6, that we are to do that while we are here on this earth. But someday, someday, God is going to call the church, and we will leave this world, and we will be presented to Christ as his bride. That's going to be a glorious day. And so Paul wrote 
to the Ephesians that, that Christ loved the church, his masterpiece, and he gave himself up for us. That question is a question, or I should say, that should rise within our hearts, a question that we should ask almost daily, and that is this, do we return, do we respond to his love? Can we say that we love our God back in return? Because it says in the scriptures, he first loved us. And so this letter of Ephesians ought to bring you and me much closer to our Savior, to our Lord and Savior. Why that is so important, we're going to see again, as I mentioned to you, in verse 2. Let's read these two verses and see all that is chucked full into these two verses. Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's begin with prayer, please. Father, we encounter upon this journey that is going to be like perhaps no other journey that we have taken yet at this church in these short five years that we have been assembling together. This is a book, Father, that uh, has been written to change our whole attitude and our lives towards who you are and who we are. Father, would you please do us the privilege of opening our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law, so that we might see and look into this this Bible that you have so graciously given to us so that we might, we might mull over your words and your thoughts and understand your heart as we read through these words. I pray, Father, for us to really understand this place in Scripture, that you would move me aside, perhaps more so than any other time, Father, during this study of Ephesians. Would you please move me aside? Let us see the wonders of who you are. Let us hear from your heart. Let us see what you have to say through your apostle, Paul. And may we follow those words as closely as we possibly can, Father. Uh, May I not be a distraction. May, Father God, we see the wonders of who you are. I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Paul begins right up by saying, I'm Paul. Look at verse 1. He says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Why did he tell us first and foremost that he is an apostle? It's it's important to know. You see, an apostle was the one who was given the ability, the responsibility to speak for God. The word apostle in Greek is A-P-O-S-T-O-L-O-S. It literally means a sent one. In the New Testament, the word apostle is an official title given to a man who God uniquely chose. It was a, it was a person that needed to, by structure, as God put it down, to see Jesus Christ personally. Paul fit that mold. He fit that mold when he was on the way to the road to Damascus. And he also fit that role when he went into the wilderness and the Lord came and taught him personally. And God called, he says here, by the will of God, him to be an apostle. An apostle was to lay the foundation of the church. 
They were to be the receivers. They were to be the teachers. They were to be the writers of God's final revelation, the New Testament that you hold in your laps. Now, let's take a look at some of their duties. We're going to take a look at a few of the verses. We're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians, both screens. 1 Corinthians, the book of Acts, and and 2 Corinthians. Turn with me, please, to uh, 1 Corinthians. And look with me at chapter 1 and verse 17. We're going to take a look at three or four of the apostles' duties, what they were called to do as men of God. First and foremost, which I absolutely adore, is... 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. Paul says this, Christ did not send me to baptize. That in and of itself is an amazing statement. He didn't come to baptize people. That wasn't what we were called to do. Baptism is not have anything to do with your salvation. Baptism is just an an outward, where we baptize people in water, it's just an outward expression of something that has happened within your heart that you express so that all can see. And so Paul says, look, I did not come, Christ did not send me to baptize, but He did, He sent me to preach the gospel. I want you to note, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. In other words, he has said, I'm, I'm here not to try to wow you with all I know and, uh, and how to speak and really make you think, whoa, this guy is quite an eloquent speaker. Paul says, no, no, no. I come to not be clever because I don't want to hide from you the very wonders of what happened upon that cross. He says, my job is not to be clever. My job is to preach the word of God so that you might understand what God is saying to you. That's one of the greatest compliments. Forgive me if this sounds... One of the nicest compliments I've received is when people say, well, that really spoke to me. That really, I, that, I've read that before, but all of a sudden that made sense to me. That's one of, the, one of the nicest compliments I can receive. I can tell you with all the seriousness, all the seriousness that I, I can muster up, that is not of me. Because... Sometimes in the same service, someone will come and say, this, whoa, that really spoke to me. And they'll tell me what it spoke to them about. And I didn't really think I had that in my notes. That wasn't necessarily what I was trying to convey. And another person will come up and say, boy, that really spoke to me. And they'll talk about what it spoke to them. And it's totally opposite of what happened to this person. And I realize and recognize fully, folks, that it is the Lord that is going to minister to your heart and my heart when we go through the Word of God. That is His job. His job is to take the Word that we speak, His Word, and not allow it to come back void. It will accomplish what He sent it out to do. And so it will work on each one of our hearts differently through each service. And so we're to preach the gospel, not we. The apostles were to... Well, yes, we are today. But the apostles were to preach the gospel, not with cleverness of speech. They didn't want to hide the cross. Secondly, if you look at Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, the apostles' duties were also to teach and to pray. I can tell you up front, one of the hardest ministries there is within a church is to get people to, you know, to gather together and to pray. It's just kind of one of those things that, that, that isn't done all the time in the church. Now, we have a prayer team. In fact, Bill was here last night, and he was here this morning. He's not here in this service unless he moved around sitting somewhere else. But he normally sits right in here. But, but, uh, to, and I asked him both services, do you, are you on the prayer team? He said, yes. And I said, do you have a lot of people show up? He says, no. And, and if, if, if you feel 
a bent towards praying, that could be one of the greatest ministries of any church. And that is to have people who pray for our church and pray for the things of what God is trying to do in and through our church. If you look at Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, Paul says, We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That is to pray and to teach. Another thing, very important, is signs and wonders and miracles that apostles performed. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. Very important for you to turn to these places if you have your Bible. To just take a look what Paul says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, it says, I'll wait till I, I hear kind of most of you get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. Really important. Because Paul says, the signs of a true apostle. You want to know what, what made a true apostle? It, they were performed, he says, among you with all perseverance. How? He says, by signs and by wonders and by miracles. The reason for these quote-unquote sign gifts were to verify that the person who did the sign, the miracle or the wonder, was a spokesperson for God. Therefore, they could be trusted as his spokesperson, giving out his most precious word. I mean, goodness, they didn't have the Bible back then. And so anybody could have walked into any village, any town and say, Thus saith the Lord, you're to do this and that. And, and who would know whether they're right or they're wrong? There was no way to look at the Word of God and see, is this exactly what God wanted? And so God saw fit to have His apostles, those who were to share His Word and to really establish the church, He had them come into a village, and if there was someone who was sick or, or there was a need for a miracle, they would perform this miracle. And it would happen every single time they performed it. And that gave them the verification that they now are speaking for God. And that's what an apostle did. They, they had a signs and wonders and miracles. And that was the evidence of a true apostle. By the way, let me just share with you. These sign gifts passed away when the apostles did. They are no longer needed today. Why? Because we now have God's Word. Our Bible verifies that we speak for God. That's why you and I are to go through the Bible. We're not to go off on some tangent away from the Word of God. We're to teach the Word of God. We are to verify what God has spoken. But let me also say to you very quickly, does that mean that we do not have signs and wonders and miracles occurring within the body of Christ today? Of course not. We have signs and miracles happening all the time. But they do not happen like they did in the days of the apostles. In the days of the apostles, why Peter, when he walked through a community, if his shadow just touched the person, they were healed. We don't have that privilege today. It isn't a hundred percent privilege of, of healing. In those days, when they came into a village and they called upon the name of the Lord, miracles were done 100% of the time. And they were done to verify that these men spoke from God. Once the Bible came into to being, then there was no need for these signs and wonders and miracles, although God, who loves us, will allow them to happen today. But there is no place where they happen 100% of the time. And so if someone says he has the gift of healing, and then he better heal somebody every single time. 
And don't give me this business that, oh, I would if you had enough faith. In those days, they healed everybody regardless of their faith. They healed them because they had the gift of healing. They were true apostles. And so these gifts today are not like they once were. Because our verification that God's voice is speaking to us is the very word that you have the privilege to hold in your laps. It is our Bibles. And your Bible and my Bible stands upon itself. Miracles and signs and wonders do not verify that a person speaks for God today. This does. The Bible does. God wants His word out amongst His people. And so we'll do that here. Therefore... The office of an apostle is not in existence t- today. They, it passed away when the apostles passed away. We still have signs and wonders. There are still, mir- still miracles. But they do not happen with the same intensity that they happened in the day of the apostles. By intensity, I mean 100% of the time. Another very important apostolic duty was seen in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Would you please turn back to Ephesians and look at the fourth chapter. I made mention of this a little while ago, and I want you to see. Paul writes, He gave some as apostles. And then he says, There are some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why did he give an apostle first and foremost to the church? It says simply, as we said a little while ago, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. That is the reason the apostles came. They came to to put structure to the church and to build up amongst the church young men who would follow after them. You need to know, and you can rest assured that that is happening at this church. As a matter of fact, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have to be operated on over this thing that I have. And, 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 and you're going to find, I'm almost scared to go, because what you're going to find is we have so many great preachers at this church, that why do we need that old guy? I mean, we don't need him. We've got some young men that are just going to knock you out. You're going to just love these guys. And when you come and you hear them preach the Word of God, you're going to be so enthralled by what God is doing in and through their lives. And Pastor Wes and Pastor Fred are doing a work in their lives, as well as as, uh, Bruce and other guys that are working in these young men's lives to kind of build them up. So this church will be in good shape regardless of what might or might not happen to me. This is a, this is a good thing in our church and we're going to see God minister to us and, and multiply us as a body of believers. So we see that the reasons for an apostles is that they were to do signs and wonders, they were to teach and pray, and they were to preach the word and not with cleverness of speech so that it would not come back or, or would not... Uh, diminish what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. Now, on the screen you're going to see, along with these 11 apostles, when, when Judas hung himself and was no longer, they, they drew lots, as it says in, um, in Acts chapter 1, verse 20, 26. They drew lots, and the lots fell to Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. But also Paul was added he met all the requirements for that office as an apostle. 
he calls himself under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, writing out these Bible, these uh, letters that he sent out, these books that he wrote. He called himself an apostle. He personally saw Jesus Christ and did all the things that an apostle would do in those days. And so Paul exclaims in, 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 in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 1, he says, am I not free? It's a rhetorical question. He says, am I not an, an apostle? That too is a rhetorical question because he says, have I not seen Jesus Christ? That was a, a requirement for an apostle. And then he asks, are you not my work in the Lord? Paul's credentials for being an apostle, folks, is not his academic training. It, it wasn't a person's smarts. It wasn't his rabbinical leadership. It wasn't all that he learned as, uh, as a man that was uh, a, a rabbi. He was simply an apostle because of the will of God called, as it says back in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So it was very important that Paul started out this letter by letting you and me know that what he was saying, he was saying on behalf of God. Everything that he is going to tell us here in the book of Ephesians is true. He is an apostle speaking for God to us. Now, Paul knew something very well about himself. He knew that he fell short in almost every area. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Very important. I'll say this. He did not fall short in the area of being intelligent. Paul was brilliant. I think he was one of the great minds of his day. But Paul called himself a, a blasphemer. He called himself a, a man that violently persecuted the church. He even called himself unworthy, an ignorant unbeliever. He considered himself to be one of the foremost of all sinners. 1 Timothy chapter 1, look, verse 13. Paul speaking. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Read with me verse 14, but note. The grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Do you see? God's grace is what forgave Paul. I want to speak to those of you who are here this morning that maybe you've been invited by a friend. Maybe you've been coming and you've not yet given your heart to Christ. And one of the barriers that you feel is that, that, that God could never forgive you because you've done so much in your past there's no way that God could forgive you of your past. I want you to know by the authority of the Word of God through the Apostle Paul, he was called himself the foremost of all sinners. He was worse than any one of us here as far as sin was concerned. And yet he found God's grace, even found God's grace enough to be elevated to be an apostle. In fact, Jesus Christ talked about him when he was in and on the road to Damascus, when he went into the, the city of Damascus and he was on the, uh, on the street called Straight, he was waiting to hear instructions from the Lord. And when Paul told Ananias, who was to go and talk to him and lay hands on him, he said, go, because he is a chosen, what? Chosen instrument of mine, God said. In the midst of all the sin that Paul was doing, God said he was a chosen instrument. Folks, if you're here and you're investigating about your faith, about this faith that we call Christianity, and you think that you're not, you're not good enough to come into the family of God, 
Oh, you're in fine company. Because every single one of us here are sinners. To one degree or another, the only thing that separates us from people who uh, have never come to Christ or, or, or could care less about God, the only thing that separates us from them is we are sinners just like they are, except we have been saved by the grace of God. That's the only thing that makes us different than anyone in this world. And so Paul understood what everyone ought to understand. Paul knew he could reach other people because he never forgot who he was. He never forgot where he came from. He also understood one thing about his life. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul knew what all of, all of us ought to know, and that is he was a bond servant of Jesus Christ. It says in Romans 1, 1, Paul, again, saying, he says, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He says, I am called as an apostle. I have been set apart for the gospel of God. By mentioning his apostleship, Paul simply establishes his undeserved but divinely bestowed authority over all of us to tell us what God wants to tell us through this great book, the book of Ephesians. Okay, we understand who Paul is now. Paul's call. He's an apostle. He's also a sinner amongst sinners. And he's also a bondservant of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What about us? What's our call? Well, look at the last half of verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Our part is, he writes, to the saints, that's you and me, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Our call is to be faithful. But wait, wait, I've got some great news to you. Listen to this. From God's point of view, you are faithful. From God's point of view, you and me, who have come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, have been made holy. That means we are called saints or set apart for the work of God. Therefore, we are faithful in Christ. You see, every Christian is a saint. I know in the Catholic Church, they promote people to be saints and maybe some other... Uh, you know, for, for, for them to denote just a few people to be saints is a very important Greek word. It's baloney. Anyone, anyone that comes to Christ is a saint. Every and every single one of us who walk with Jesus Christ, we are all called saints by God. We have been set apart because every Christian has been made holy by God. How? I want you to see... Most important verse we're going to turn to today. Philippians chapter 3. Next book, just to the right. Ephesians and then comes Philippians. Look at chapter 3. You and I have been made holy, not because we've lived these great lives. No, we have been made holy because we have taken upon ourselves the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That righteousness comes from the Father to us through faith. And that position has been given to every single one of us who have ever accepted Jesus Christ has been given to our account by the grace of God Almighty through faith in His Son. Look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9. He says, and may... Now, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul has been telling everybody about his pedigree. He's been kind of saying, here's who I am, here's what I do, this is what my background is, this is why I am who I am. And he was saying, I am a Hebrew's Hebrew. He was telling them who he was. But he says, in verse 9, and may be found in him, in Christ, note, not having a righteousness of my own. 
He says that has been derived, that which was derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. He says the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Listen, people, when you and I act in faith to receive Jesus Christ, then God acts in His grace to give us His Son's righteousness. So right now, the way God sees you and me is complete. He cannot look down from heaven and see me. God forbid. He cannot look upon any part of sin. When God looks down in heaven and sees me, you know what He sees? His Son. He sees His Son's righteousness in me. He sees me as complete in Christ. He sees me as faithful in Christ. That's my position. That's what I'm going to be in heaven. That's the completeness that God sees in me. But in, and when you see me, you see the practicality of who I am and I fall short. But hopefully it is my desire to day by day walk faithfully with Jesus Christ. That's our call. That's what we're going to learn here in the book of Ephesians. Before God, you are faithful in Christ. You are a saint. You are holy. You are set apart. And so, having Christ's righteousness has nothing to do with your or my character. It has nothing to do with our accomplishments. I mean, because someone is a preacher as a church, doesn't mean he's better than anyone else in the, in the congregation. That would, be, uh, that would be blasphemy, I think. I, I can't even tell you how... When, when, some, when I see some preachers, when they get all in their robes and all that stuff, it makes me kind of get a little skittish. Who do they think they are? You know, I mean, come on, we're all in this together. We're just people who are trying to walk with God. And we are who we are because of the righteousness of God in us, not because of what we do. There's no job that makes anyone here at this church more important than anyone else. And so Christ's righteousness in you and me establishes us as God's saints. And that only comes through the saving faith of Jesus Christ when we believe in Him. And God then sees us through His Son, His righteousness, not our own. So we are faithful in Christ. Okay then, what's our blessings? Oh man, verse 2. Unbelievable verse. In verse 2 it says in Ephesians chapter 1, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's so much in this one simple verse. We're almost through. We only have a couple of minutes. Please hang in there with me because this is probably as important thing as we're ever going to learn as we start this journey of looking at the book of Ephesians. Grace. The word in Greek is C-H-A-R-I-S. It simply means God's kindness. It is better spoken, His unmerited favor towards us. He gives us what we do not deserve. He gives us His grace. And it is given to those of us who are undeserving of of His favor, but who have placed our faith and trust in His Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, you and I have God's grace, unmerited favor. Then it says, we also have peace. That word in the Greek is E-I-R-E-N-E. 
Actually, it is, in the Hebrew, it is shalom. It, it is the highest meaning of the word. It means spiritual prosperity. It means spiritual completeness. But I want you to know, listen now, and especially who, those of you who do not yet know Jesus Christ and are investigating, a person cannot and does not have peace with God until they have the grace of God. You cannot have peace without grace. Not godly peace, not godly grace. There's one thing that happened in my life that still haunts me to this day. I will, I will perhaps never forget this moment. We had, I had a bunch of guys that we hung around in San Pedro, really close friends, and we, did, we were goofy. We were goofy as could be, and we did a lot of funny things, and we enjoyed each other a lot. In that mix was all of us guys right around high school to college age. We ran together around that time. And in that was one of the guy's fathers. He was as good a guy as you'd ever want to meet. I never even met a guy in my life that had more peace in life. I mean, he just, he had a boat. He had things. He did things. He was so much fun to be around. We would laugh and roll on the floor together, and he'd be right there with us. We just enjoyed one another's company. His son died on a plane accident, flew into a mountain on the, on the way back from Mexico. It was a terrible thing. Young, full of life. His dad loved him so much. And that broke his dad's heart. He denied God after that. He denied anything and everything. He was just angry. He was angry, angry, angry. But he was a man who, who everybody would said was a very peaceful man. He got cancer real bad and I was asked to come see him. So I went to see him and I visited him. And, and everybody left the room and I said, Pop, how you doing, man? He says, not so good. I said, Pop... You might die, right? He said, I'm going to die. He said, Pop, you've got to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. With that word, I heard, a, I heard something come out of him that I have never heard in anyone in my life. I've never heard it. I don't think I want to ever hear it again. I don't know what it was. I, I would assume, without being dramatic, it's as close as I ever came to, to just sensing a, a, an evil spirit come out of something. And he just he yelled so loud that everybody come running from the house into that room and they said, what happened? And I says, uh, I don't know. I, I, he doesn't seem like he's hurting right now. He's okay. And what did you do? And I said, well, I told him about Jesus Christ. And they said to me, get the out of my house. They ordered me out of their house. I wish I was a little older at the time. I would have told them, you get out of this room until I'm through talking to Pop. But I didn't. I was respectful to the family, of course. And I left. And I, I, to this day, it haunts me. Everybody said that man was a peaceful man. I'm telling you, he wasn't a peaceful man because he didn't have the grace of God. You do not have the peace of God until you understand God's grace, God's unmerited favor. Once you have God's unmerited favor, then you begin to understand the peace that you have with God because he now sees you as a saint, set apart, holy, faithful in Christ. Your destination, our destination is heaven and nothing, nothing has stopped us from there. Jesus Christ says himself that he will personally take each and every single one of us to that place. And he says not only he, not only will we be held in his hands, but he says in the book of John, but the Father who is greater than all will also hold us in his hands and take us to heaven. That's peace. That's the peace that surpasses all understanding. But now comes the source. Now comes the word that I says is going to change everything about this book of Ephesians. It's just the simple word, A-N-D, and. 
the source of our grace, the source of our blessings, the source of our peace comes from, look at verse 2, the end of it, from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those two statements, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, distinguishes them too as deity. But the word and does not separate them. It does not make them distinct. I mean, it doesn't make them separated. The word and brings the two of them together. It is the manifestation of the same source. How do we know that? By the word K-A-I, and. That word indicates that both of them are equal. That word indicates that the Lord Jesus Christ is just like God the Father. The two are one. Paul's message throughout this epistle is that you and me as believers might understand and experience more fully all the blessings that has been granted to us through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When you and I are in Christ, we are therefore in the Father. They cannot be separated. That's why when Jesus Christ was with the the Pharisees and the the, the religious unbelievers, they, they, did, they detested him. And they came to him one day and they said to him, Tell us plainly, tell us plainly, who are you? Who are you from? Where are you from? Tell us plainly. And he said, I've already told you, but you don't listen. And then in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus Christ uttered these magnificent words. He says, I and the Father are one. This word and there takes away any kind of thought that Jesus Christ is not God of God. He is as much God as the Father. They are two in one and with the Holy Spirit there are three in one. This is one of the great, great messages of, of not mine, of, of the Word of God. Verse 2 will set you and me free. In verse 1, Paul says, look, I'm speaking you with the authority of an apostle. I am speaking the very word of God to you. You can, you can rest assured that everything that I am saying to you in this book of Ephesians comes from God Almighty because I am speaking as an apostle. And also he says to us in the second verse, you can rest assured that your relationship with Jesus Christ is as equal as your relationship with God the Father because the two of them are equal. They are both the same. And so as you and I get to know the book of Ephesians and we get to understand this one whom we are in, this one whom is in, we are in Christ, we'll be able to understand God the Father so much more clearly He'll become enlightened to us because we'll be able to watch everything of who He is through the very person of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is going to be a great journey. I pray that God will really teach us clearly. Pray with me, please. Father, as we, as we take this journey through the book of Ephesians, would You bless it, Father? Would You teach us and, and, and let nobody, none of us get in Your way, let alone me of all people. Father, let us just hear from your words, understand what you have to say to us so that we might know more of of who you are through your Son, Jesus Christ, and through the words of your Apostle, the one that speaks on your behalf, Paul. May we take very seriously this study. And may it do, Father, what I believe it will do in each of our lives.
May it change us for the better. Whatever that might mean, may we understand more of who you are because of us being in Christ, your Son. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I love you folks more than I can tell you. See you next week, and we'll start in verse 3, and we'll start going through this great book. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Love you all very much.